A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Telling a woman that she can't be an elder is a nonsense rule. If they claim to be in the body, we let them have it. Donald Trump is going to win in 2020 by an absolute landslide. Because the New Testament is utter horse. <laughs> It was created by a bishop and a fucking emperor. That's a fact. That's like established religious fact. Sawing is a blessing from God to make you rich. Well, Jesus like a lottery ticket. The Lord spoke to my heart. Then very few times I've ever heard God be this articulate with me. And I'm telling you word for word, these words came into my heart. I'm not asking you witness me. I'm asking you to brush his hair. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Oh, yeah, I can't talk today. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Master's Dog, episode 128. I'm your host, Norm, The Master's Dog Dunham, a.k.a. The Evangelical Norm. So The Master's Dog is a podcast where I deal with false teachers, false teachers, false doctrine, false whatever, essentially uh, taking on the personality of the John Calvin quote at the beginning, a dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if God's truth were attacked and yet remains, if I saw that God's truth were attacked and yet remain silent. So exa- it's exactly what I do. I see false doctrine and I bark and that's what I do. Sometimes I get pretty heated in these things. Sometimes I don't. So this started out as faith and beliefs refuted. I was dealing with uh, the guys over at, at the time they were called. Well, no, I guess they had already changed over from three Mormons to Saints Unscripted. And they started a new segment of their podcast called Faith and Beliefs, where they were going through the different articles of faith, uh, the 13 articles of faith that is basically the LDS statement of faith. And so I wanted to respond to those and show how they don't line up with mainline Christianity. And by the way, if you hear little music and, and school sounds, my daughter's sitting next to me. She's doing, uh, she's doing homeschool stuff. So if you take a look over, you could kind of see her in her chair over there. So, so yeah, just don't mind the, uh, the little bit of, uh, distracting sound. Um, I'm distracted. Can you tell? <laughs> so I was responding to those to show how they, the, the articles of faith don't line up with biblical Christianity. And then they continued on. David continued on with other points of doctrine. So I committed to respond to every single one of those videos. To this point, I have. Some I haven't actually gone the whole reaction to the video. Just thrown up a screenshot and said this isn't worth the time. But this is what it's about. This is why it's basically dumb. Uh, so went through that some point down the road, I said, you know, I want to start dealing with other false teachers, pseudo Christian cults, uh, not just Mormonism, but other, you know, Joel Osteen types and Stephen Furtick and stuff like that. So that's when the podcast became, went from being faith and beliefs refuted to becoming the master's dog. So, and here we are today. So there's a little background on the podcast for you guys. For those of you who are new, we've had a whole bunch of new subscribers over the last few weeks. It seems like every day one or two more subscribers are coming over to the uh, Evangelical Norm channel on YouTube. That is thanks to you guys. Uh, for you share, you like, you comment, all that stuff increases our uh, 
view within the algorithm and more and more people see it and then they subscribe and so on. So if you haven't already, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification button, get all the content that I release over here on uh, the Evangelical Norm Network, a lot of different podcasts that I do dealing with a lot of different things. So hopefully you find all of them useful, helpful, at least entertaining. So today we are back to uh, the roots of this podcast. We are going to respond to our friends over at Saints Unscripted. David is going to talk to us today about whether or not the Bible is, is fact or fiction, and he's specifically hitting in on the book of Jonah. Um, I'm going to go ahead, as I always do, let him talk. I will interject as I, I see uh, that it is necessary, and we'll go from there, and then we'll wrap it up at the end. So here is our friend David Snell from Saints Unscripted. So, C.S. Lewis once wrote, The first qualification for judging any piece of workmanship from a corkscrew to a cathedral is to know what it is, what it was intended to do, and how it is meant to be used. In order to most effectively understand and use the Bible, we need to know what it was intended to do and how it is meant to be used. It's the Bible. You get credit for trying. Today, we're going to be looking at just one key factor that will help us in that process. We're going to talk about the importance of genre recognition. Let's do it. Okay, so before we get into that, I mean, one, genre recognition is very much an important part of it. But the Bible is way more than just a tool that we can go, well, how is it intended to be used and so on? The, the Bible goes far beyond that. It's far more important than just going, okay, well, was it a tool and what do we use it for and, and so on? What was its intended use, right? Authorial intent is an important thing. What it is is a very important thing. Um, but it, it goes beyond uh, just uh, how are we supposed to use it? I mean, its use is widespread in, in our lives, and it goes far beyond a what most people will look at as just a simple scope of uh, what it is. So we'll get into that. Determining the genre of a modern book usually comes quite naturally. When you open a book today and it starts with the phrase, once upon a time, you instantly know that the story you're about to read likely belongs to the genre fiction. It's not going to be a true story. <laughs> like that's ever going to happen. When you open the encyclopedia, you're going to be able to tell right away that it isn't a sci-fi novel. It belongs to the reference or information genre. You can also have multiple genres mashed together. For instance, Pride and Prejudice is primarily a romance novel. Pride and Prejudice and Zombies combines romance and satire and action, etc. Her face is rendered uncommonly intelligent by the beautiful expression of her dark eyes. The word Bible comes from this Greek word meaning the books. The Bible is not just one book. It contains dozens of different books written at different times by different people with sometimes different purposes. And not every book is part of the same genre. There's historical narrative, there's poetry, there's apocalyptic literature, there's allegory, etc. The challenge is that the books of the Bible are translations of ancient documents that didn't come with an explanation of which genre each book belongs to. Determining which genre the original writers intended for their work is oftentimes really difficult. Sometimes, because we say the Bible is true, we assume that everything in it must therefore fit squarely into the genre nonfiction. 
But that's not an assumption the text itself backs up, and we cause problems for ourselves when we misinterpret a work's genre. For example, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Is it nonfiction? Is it a true story? Think about it. At the beginning, it says that this stuff happened in England in 932 AD. England is a real place. 932 AD was a real time. Some say that even King Arthur might have actually existed. So is this story true? No, of course not. It's very clearly a satirical comedy. It's only a model. If you don't catch on to that, though, this movie is going to leave you with some significant questions about history and a potentially debilitating fear of rabbits. The most foul, cruel, and bad-tempered rodent you ever set eyes on! Alright, so now this is... This is really a ridiculous analogy to put this against the Bible. I mean, nobody... Nobody is going to watch Monty Python and think that this might possibly be historical. I mean, again, it goes back to the whole issue of it's pretty easy to tell. And even in the Bible, it's pretty. Why do we why do we why would we change the um, requirement? I, I can't think of the word that the expectation for the Bible over anything else. It's fairly, it's very easy to tell. We know when Jesus was speaking in parables because we see those things where he goes back and explains those parables. But we also know when they are speaking historically and so on, and we see that throughout. And as he gets into the book of Jonah to start questioning it, we're going to see the, the, the difference. And, and then we'll explain, I will explain why that is necessary from an LDS worldview. Let's look at an example from the Bible, the parable of the prodigal son. Is it historically accurate? Did the events described actually happen? No, it's a parable. It's a fictional story meant to teach us a lesson. Nobody has an issue with the parables being fictional because their genre in the New Testament is fairly clear. Before we move on, let that idea sink in. It's not a problem that the Bible sometimes uses fictional stories to teach us divine truth. It was like Christ's preferred method of teaching. So Christ's parables are obviously fictional and nobody bats an eye. People get more defensive though when genre in the Bible is less clear. For example, what is the genre of the book of Jonah? Now this is a controversial subject and most Christians, including Latter-day Saints, might disagree with me on this. Granted, this probably isn't an issue where your salvation hangs in the balance, but the genre you assign the book of Jonah will influence the questions you ask about it. There are many fantastic Christians, including Latter-day Saints and past Latter-day Saints. Okay, so now here's a problem. It's the, the, the comment is the problem that you ascribe the book of Jonah. The reality is, and if you're wondering what I'm doing and I look a little distracted, I'm pulling up Jonah on my phone. So we can take a look at the beginning of the book of Jonah. And, to, and again, because like he said, if you, if you take... A, a fairy tale and you look at it and you start it off and it starts once upon a time we have a pretty good idea that it is a a fiction fictional story it's it's not true so when we look at the book of jonah we're going to look at the beginning to see what the genre is i'm going to let him carry on and then i'm going to jump in here and talk about it so Saturday Saint leaders who believe Jonah is straight-up narrative nonfiction, historical fact. Many other fantastic Christians believe that the original author intended this work to be a sort of extended satirical parable. 
Personally, I'm in the parable camp, but you're certainly free to disagree if that's what makes the most sense to you. And if you're thinking, well, Jesus references Jonah in the New Testament, so it has to be a true story, go read this article by Ben Spackman. Hebrew Bible and Old Testament scholar Stephen McKenzie wrote, the attempt to read Jonah as history gives priority to an assumption about its genre over its actual content. A historical reading ignores or struggles to explain the clear exaggerations, caricatures, and ridiculous features that are essential to the nature of the story as satirical fiction. Worst of all, the historical reading of Jonah runs the risk of missing the book's richness. It misleads the reader into focusing on relatively insignificant details, such as whether a man could live in a whale for three days, and missing its main point, the stupidity of bigotry. The story of Jonah that seems intentionally saturated with rich irony. Everyone and everything is more faithful to God than the prophet himself. The pagan mariners are offering sacrifices to Jehovah. The fish obeys God. The wicked Ninevites and even their animals are repenting, while Jonah, the prophet, is being a bit of a turd the whole time. Not getting the genre of a book right can be distracting, lead to the wrong questions, and can even lead to challenges of faith. If Jonah's story is a parable, Questions about whether people can survive inside of fish are irrelevant and totally missing the point of the story. Not a bite for days. But to be clear, Jonah is not a parable just because the fish thing may be hard to believe. I believe in miracles. All Christians who believe Jonah is parable obviously still believe in miracles. This isn't about taking stuff you find hard to believe in the Bible and giving yourself an out by reinterpreting it as symbolic or metaphorical. This isn't about lacking faith or doubting what God is capable of doing. This is about being aware of our assumptions and trying to understand how the original authors of the Bible intended their works to be read from the get-go. And that takes time and study. If you want to dive more into this subject, I'll leave you some resources in right, the YouTube so gonna... description. In terms of Latter-day Saint scholars, you're going to want to read, watch, or listen to a lot of Ben Spackman stuff. Most of what I've said in this video shamelessly just echoes the really great stuff he's been teaching for years. So go check those resources out. Watch some of our other videos we've done about the Bible while you're here. And have a great day. All right. So that, let's, let's end that. So here's the problem. Here's the, here's the deal. This is the beginning of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to, son, to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee tar to Tarshish and went from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So again, Tarshish is as far away from Nineveh as he could get at that point. He did not want to go. If this were, okay, Again, putting the recognizing this as history actually helps to bolster the, the truth because of the Bible. So we actually see a story. We, we over and over and over we get Isaiah's. Here I am, Lord, send me. We have these guys. We have Hosea who is willing to endure an adulterous wife and all this stuff that she put him through in order to do what God we finally see a prophet who says, God, I don't like those people. I don't want to go. Was he wrong to do that? Absolutely. Did God show him his, his folly in not wanting to do what God told him to do? Absolutely. And yes, the fact that Jesus references this as fact, 
as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale or the belly of the fish, so must the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. Jesus references this as history. If this were parable, Jesus would, I doubt, I, I can't imagine Jesus referencing it as anything but parable. So, yes. And, and again, it's not because of the fish thing or anything else like that. Those things, I mean, we do believe in miracles. We know that God can make a man live in the belly of the fish for three days. So, to, to take this and go, Jonah is the only book we're going to question as parable and, and, and so on. I mean, I'm not reading the articles by this Spackman guy. I don't care. Here's the reality of why the LDS church has to cast aspersions upon the Bible. Because, and I'm, I'm going to predict, I'm going to make a prediction of where this is going. This is going to be a way to explain how the book of Abraham does not line up with anything that they said it was back in the day. It's going to be to where, so they can, they can go, well, you know, Abraham was just parable. The book of Abraham was just, it wasn't, Joseph was inspired by the facsimiles. He really didn't interpret them because we know now that none of what Joseph said these facsimiles were or any of the translation he supposedly did is accurate. It's all completely off track from what the actual funerary book is that he acquired that is now the book of Abraham and the Pearl of Great Price. So this is where it's going. They have to come through here and start casting aspersions upon these parts of the Bible. Jonah is as much history as anything else from Chronicles to Kings to Adam and Eve and so on. All of these people, yes, Adam and Eve were the very first and, and, and second person to be, and, and yes, Cain had to marry his sister. That's where he got his wife. We have no problem with this, no problem explaining this, anything. And, and again, so I'm, I'm betting that at some point in time, if he hasn't already, I don't remember. They're going to come and they're going to go back and go, oh, well, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, well, they did talk about it in evolution a little bit that, you know, things existed and people existed before Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve were this little special creation. This is what old earth creationists have to end up doing is they have to go, well, you know, yeah, God said that he did this, but he did all this other stuff and all these other people and they were dying before sin entered into the world. But yeah, Adam and Eve, this is the special thing that God did. Right. And then we have all of our, our genealogy down. When did myth become reality, right? So we have this, there, there's no reason whatsoever to look at the book of Jonah and even assume to start to think that it's a parable. It presents itself throughout the entire thing as historical narrative, just like every other one of the prophetic books of the Old Testament. Just like every other one. We have a... a a picture of God calling upon a prophet. And it's just the fact that this prophet happened to say, I don't want to. And God said, I'm going to make you. And he did. And we get this whole story as fantastic as you may think it is. And as much as atheists love to attack it, it is the reality that this is what God did through Jonah. He called the people of Nineveh to repent. Jonah even got mad about that. Was Joe, there was there some bigotry or something going on? Quite possible. It is quite possible that Joe, Jonah 
was prejudice toward the Ninevites. We kind of see that in the text. They were they were mean people. They were horrible people. They were ugly and, and did some atrocious things. And Jonah didn't like them and didn't want them to repent. How I mean, we see that in people today. There are people that are just like, I don't like this group. I don't like this. That's a sin, and it needs to be repented of. It was a sin that Jonah committed and needed to repent of. We never see. The, the book ends before we find out if Jonah ever repented. The assumption is that he did, but we never see that. Jonah finished writing the book and didn't, didn't tag on. If this was parable, we would probably see that tag at the end. Because the parables have a moral to the story. This story, the, 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 the story, the narrative of, of Jonah doesn't have a moral at the end of it. We don't see whether we see that the people of Nineveh repented. We don't see where Jonah went. And it would make a whole lot more sense if it were fiction and parable that there would be a resolution to Jonah's story. But it leaves it open. Because it's historical. And for whatever reason, we don't know why Jonah never finished anything out. But that's that's where it is. I mean, the assumption is that Jonah wrote it down. We don't know. But I can't imagine that it is it is fiction in any way. And the only reason to cast doubts upon its historicity is if you're going to use that to bolster up something that is absolutely false later down the road, which is likely what David is going to do. So guys, hopefully you found this useful. Hopefully this was uh, helped you guys to understand some of this stuff. Um, or again, like I said, hopefully maybe you just found it entertaining. Um, and that's great. Or this is just an opportunity for more atheists to leave ridiculous comments uh, on the video. And I'm, I'm down for that. Questions, comments, snide remarks, leave them in the video. You can send them to me on Twitter at, at the Master's Dog or the Evangelical Norm, Norm Dunham on Facebook. I'm open to any kind of communication you want. EvangelicalNorm at gmail.com. That's my email address. If you want to hit me up, any place you want to send me comments, questions, snide remarks, suggestions for false teachers to talk about, or anything you'd like me to look into, I'm down for it. I do this for you guys, and I appreciate all of you who have subscribed and done all that stuff already. Thank you, thank you, thank you. As always, preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. And until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.